Fill us with your spirit. Soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth. Shape our wills that we may desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 through 7, and verse 10. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it is something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here again. I think this is the third time in about as many years that we've gotten to be together. My name is Neil Hubacher. I feel a little bit incomplete today. Uh, Watching online is uh, my wife, Kelsey, of 13 years. We have a 12-year-old, JD, a 10-year-old, Hannah. We have a 3-year-old named Mary, and we actually have a 7-week-old today uh, named Lily. So... That's where my wife is. <laughs> so they, she truly is the better half, and um, I do feel a little bit incomplete. I think that um, when we're together, we're just a better witness of God's grace all together. So you're getting one-sixth of the family today, just me. But as Doran alluded to, um, I work for an organization called Cornerstone. Cornerstone is New Hampshire's Family Policy Council. Our vision is for a God-honoring New Hampshire where religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished. Um, but I work, the ministry side of our organization is called the Church Ambassador Network. And what I love doing is I love getting the leaders of God's people, like your pastor Chris, together with the leaders of government because God can do great things when they come together, um, as actually the book of Daniel testifies. And um, I have to say that I really enjoy Pastor Chris. You are well shepherded by him. Uh, We just got together uh, about two weeks ago in preparation for this time. I hadn't seen him for a while, but I I just wish there were a hundred more like him because he thinks theologically, he thinks biblically, and he's trying to shepherd you into a place where as far as how you, as your prayer said, as you witness in Portsmouth, as you witness in the city, um, he is trying to bring you to a place where that is uh, more and more just biblical. And I appreciate Chris and how he is. Yes. Yes. Is that? Okay, that's what I didn't know if that was me. I don't know if that was the heater. Okay. Yeah. We can switch. Yeah, let's do this one. Yeah, we'll do that. The handheld. Yep. Okay. Perfect. 
There we go. Awesome. How's this? Better? Okay. I had no idea if the heater was going like just crazy. So, okay. Thank you. <laughs> this is better for everybody. Awesome. Well, it's good to be together. I want to um, begin today by just a little reflection on Queen Elizabeth. I know there's been a lot on the news and her, but as someone who, you know, I traffic in the government and church space, I just think Queen Elizabeth was such a gift to our culture. And uh, as you have heard about her, I'm sure, over these last three weeks, you know, what an incredible head of state. She, um, unlike U.S. presidents or unlike U.S. governors, she was just the head of state, not also the head of government. You know, our leaders, like our presidents and our governors, they are both head of state and head of government. They have a role to the outside, but they also are actually managing what they're supposed to manage. The Queen of England was just the head of state. But what I'm so fascinated about her is she was also, though, head of the Church of England. And I think of king and priest in the same way that Jesus is king and priest. The, the head of England is both head of state and head of church. I'm just fascinated by how that worked out. As people like Franklin Graham and others have said, and even by her own testimony, you know, she was... Um, just a solid believer. You know, it is just so clear that she had a real abiding faith in Jesus. Not that this is the, like the, the end all be all, but you know that on the day of her death, September 8th, there was actually a double rainbow over Buckingham Palace. And I just thought that was such a great wink from God as to far as his, his approval, I would say, of her. I mean, she's a human being, but just his, his passion for her, his love for her, I'd say. And I think we're so blessed to have had a leader who even as far back as 60 years ago could parse things in culture and understand what God was trying to do. I want to take a little bit from her first ever televised Christmas address. You know, the the UK got used to her giving Christmas addresses. um, And the first time that it was televised was in 1957. A part of what she said is this. She said, that it is possible for some of you to see me today, because, of course, this was a huge technological breakthrough, that they were not just listening to her on the radio, but that they were seeing her on the TV. She said, that it is possible for some of you to see me today is just another example of the speed at which things are changing all around us. Because of these changes, I'm not surprised that many people feel lost and unable to decide what to hold on to and what to discard how to take advantage of this new life without losing the best of the old. But it is not the new inventions which are the difficulty. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old, worn-out machinery. They would have religion thrown aside, morality in personal and public life made meaningless, honesty, counted as foolishness and self-interest set up in place of self-restraint. Wow. Don't her words from 60 years ago still echo today even more so? I'm blown away by the queen. And I think for 70 years, her 70-year reign, she lived something that St. Augustine from the 300 and 400s A.D. is um, cited as saying. St. Augustine said it this way. He said that we should pray as though everything depended on God, but we should work as if everything depended on you. We should pray as if everything depended on God, but we should work as if everything depended on us, on you. And I believe that the queen lived that life. 
She really prayed knowing that there's certain things, even though she was the Queen of England, even though she had at her disposal resources we could never imagine, she knew there were some things on this earth that only God could do. But she did her duty as a queen. You know, if you hear all of the tributes that are coming in, they relate to her dignity, to her presence, to her noble leadership. I would say that she very much acted in the natural but believed God for the supernatural. She did what her duty was to do. She was a great head of state for England. But even with all of her resources, there were things that only God could do. She acted in the natural, but believed God for the supernatural. And I believe that you and I, we know this dynamic. We're aware of what St. Augustine said that we are to pray as if everything depends on God, work as if everything depends on us, and we do it in many domains. We know about, we need to do this for our marriage, right? I need to nurture my wife, but then there's some things that, that we need God's help with in our marriage. In parenting, I need to raise them up. I need to discipline them. I can't just expect through osmosis for them to understand the scriptures. I'm their chief disciple maker. But at the same time, who they are, and anyone who's had children, you know that there are things that are way beyond my pay grade as far as what God is making them to be or to do. There's a mystery in there. And who they are to be is ultimately up to God. In our business or in your work life, you know you can't just do nothing and hope things go well. You do your part. You work. But then there's forces, market forces, things beyond your control that you have to believe, God, please just, you know, have mercy on us. As God taught us to pray, you know, give me today my daily bread. I'll do my part, but God, you've got to give me the daily bread, right? We're used to this dynamic, I think, a lot. But there's one domain that I believe that we have a really hard time acting in the natural and believing God for the supernatural part, and that is in the domain of the government sphere, in the political world. We have a really hard time doing that. I would suggest that we actually fall into the ditch on either side, right? Some of us fall into the ditch of only acting naturally, like, oh my gosh, um, and I think Doran referenced it in his prayer, you know, that we are just so worked up in anxiety and fear and bitterness. You know, we see all that's going on in our culture today. It, it is such a um, such a such a difficult moment for our country because of the tensions that are real. And some of us, I'm talking to believers now, some of us followers of Jesus, we get swept away in that. Not realizing that we serve a big God who is sovereign. The nations are a drop in the bucket, is what Isaiah said to God. Or we fall on the other side of the ditch, which I'm concerned with, and I talk about this with pastors. And the other side of the ditch that we fall into is, the, you know, just thinking that the most spiritual thing we can do is completely remove ourselves from culture, completely remove ourselves from the conversation, completely remove ourselves from the chaos that is in, happening right now. And that would be a mistake as well. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died in a Nazi concentration camp because he cared about the culture, Germany at that time. He cared about the fact that the church was absenting itself from the most evil regime at that time. He has strong words for us. He said this, and keep in mind this is translated from German to English and it's a little clunky. 
But if we can get his heart here, it's great. He says, there's no glory in standing amid the ruins of one's native town in the consciousness that at least one has not oneself incurred any guilt. That is rather the self-glorification of the moral legalist in the face of history. In other words, if you'd allow me to do my own paraphrase, we can sit here in church and just say, at least we didn't sin, but if the world outside the four walls of this church is on fire, and it is right now, and we don't do anything about it, we've made a grave mistake. The gospel does affect this culture. You know, the gospel is the good news for Portsmouth, New Hampshire, today, right now, 21st century. Are you with me? We are called to parse in the political world, in the governmental realm, what it is to act naturally, do our part, but then also to believe God for the supernatural. And so like the Queen of England, what a great head of state who followed God, who obeyed God's precepts. Her reign lasted 70 years. I'd like us to look at another gentleman from the scripture reading. You know where I'm headed, but you know that he worked for 80 years in the government sphere. Do you know that whereas the Queen of England endured I think 14 prime ministers and 16 U.S. presidents. No, I have, it, I have it backwards. 16 prime ministers, starting with Winston Churchill in World War II, and 14 U.S. presidents. Do you know that Daniel, the passage of which we just read, he lasted four different kings under two different regimes. He started as a young man in the Babylonian Empire. The Jews had been exiled to Babylon. But then the Babylonians were taken over by the Persians. And yet, Daniel was there 80 years serving, much like the Queen of England lasted seven decades. He lasted eight. And as I believe Pastor Chris printed on your bulletin, you know, Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. There must be a way for us to be in the political sphere that does both, where we give to God what is God's and We honor the governing officials, whether or not we agree with them all the time, 100%. Amen? So let's just take a little bit of a look at Daniel here. I know that Chris, being a good seminarian, would prefer big idea preaching, and I do have a big idea. The big idea is we are to act naturally and believe supernaturally. Normally we focus on one passage, but we're going to do a little bit of survey of Daniel today because I think that lends itself best to where we're headed. So I want to talk about first, how do we act natural in the political world? What is our job in the governmental sphere? And I believe that the book of Daniel points us to four things. The book of Daniel points us to four things, four things that he did in his governmental role that were just the things that were up to him. This is what Daniel did, okay? The first thing he did was he avoided worldliness. He avoided worldliness. Early on in the narrative of Daniel, when he and his friends are taken captive by the Babylonians, early on they make a resolve that they are not going to be like the Babylonians. Daniel 1.8 says, Daniel and his buddies determined that they would not defile themselves with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. We as believers, we are to be in the world, but we don't need to entertain ourselves like the world does. We don't have the same pleasures that the world does. Our pleasure first is in God himself, and that just changes us from the inside out. Right? And the issue isn't really eating or drinking here as far as Daniel, but you hear his heart was, I'm going to be apart from this culture, 
because I serve God. And there's a part of us that needs to be the same way. For me, I just got this morning my report of how often I was on my iPhone every day. (laughs) And I don't even want to tell you the number of hours, right? Because it's just embarrassing. But, you know, what, what is, what's fueling my heart? You know, what's, what's fueling my soul? And we, as God's people, if we want to behave well in the political sphere, we need to first make sure that the wellspring of our hearts is God himself and not, you know, you name your news station wherever you get your fix from. Some of you might be Fox. Some of you might be CNN. Great. Either way, if that's your main fix, then we have a problem. Our main fix should be first God's word, amen, on a daily basis. So the first thing is Daniel avoided worldliness. You know what I'll do? I'll take it out of chronological order because this one's similar. But the second thing we see Daniel is, and it goes along with this, is he obviously cultivated a life of prayer. He cultivated a life of prayer. Those go together, right? The more we, it's kind of like when I exercise, then I, I end up eating better. You know, when I haven't exercised for a while, I just crave sugar and carbs. It's the same thing. If I will... If I will be in prayer, then I find that I am less attracted to the things of the world. We just read it um, in Daniel 6. So Daniel 6, remember that um, this is into the third uh, kingdom that he is serving. And um, the guys are after him because he's a God-man. But it says when Daniel, this is Daniel 6.10, we just read it. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God. Listen to this. Just as he had done before. In other words, it wasn't just in crisis time that Daniel went to God, but he had a regular rhythm of encountering God in prayer. Do we? I'm concerned the Christian voice in the public square, if it is not coming from a place of we are connecting with God first, then it just becomes shrill and just like every other voice out there that's just really carnal, right? It doesn't matter whether it's conservative or progressive. If it's carnal, it's not really doing anything, okay? So four things that Daniel did to, in the natural. He avoided worldliness, number one. Number two, he prayed three times a day. Number three, this is good for all of us. He developed his own God-given talents. In other words, instead of criticizing everyone else out there, he said, God, what have you given me to do? And let me do it well. Daniel 1.17 says this, God gave these four young men, so I'm talking about Daniel and his buddies, knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. What about you? What about me? The gifts that God has given us, the talents, the skills, are we developing them in such a way that we are hoping to serve others? As I do care about raising my 12-year-old, my 10-year-old especially, yes, my 3-year-old and my 7-week-old, but I'm saying especially with my 12 and 10-year-old, I'm watching who God has made them to be. I'm saying let's put them in situations, circumstances. Let me get them with the right mentors so that as they grow up and they develop the skills and talents that God has given them, they can eventually hone into such a, a practice that they glorify God, they serve others, and they can earn a good living by what God has given them to do. We can do the same thing. You, what's fun for me, actually, in my role is when I can point different legislators or different executive 
uh, branch officials to, oh my gosh, look at what this faith community is doing. You know, this community on the seacoast is creating a sober house. This community, um, you know, in southern New Hampshire has created a space for youth to be together. This community is doing this, that, and the other. And I love, I mean, one of the privileges of my job is to share with our state officials different ways that the faith community is addressing our state's biggest problems. Last year when I visited with several of our senators with groups of pastors, and I asked them, what are your biggest concerns? Senators mentioned things like the opioid crisis. They mentioned things like mental health. They mentioned things like housing affordability. These are the things they mentioned. And so what's great is God gives us, like God gave Daniel, like God gave Joseph, like God gave Esther, God gives us solutions to those problems. And he gets glory for it. And just like with Joseph and the famine, Joseph had the answer, but Pharaoh could distribute it. So what I see often is God visits us. He gives us solutions to the problems that we're having. But we've got partners in government who can then distribute it. They're not all the enemy, you know? (laughs) Okay, praise the Lord. All right, so we want to avoid worldliness. We want to pray, develop hearts of prayer. We want to develop our own God-given talents because as we do that and we serve others, it often solves the problems of the world, and then we get audience with kings, and God gets glory. Okay, that's the formula. And so very similarly uh, also with this one as far as developing his God-given gifts and talents, and we read it a little bit in the Scripture, he excelled at his job. He did what he did as unto the Lord. Again, this is about kingdom number three that he's serving as we're in the narrative in Daniel 6. Daniel 6, uh, 3, 4, and 5. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of God. What do your coworkers, what do your colleagues, what do your neighbors, what do they say of you? For five years, I taught in a public school just uh, west of Boston. And even 15 years ago, it was just hotbed of all of the cultural issues that we are seeing just explode right now. And I taught French high school French, and I knew that the bedrock of my witness would be, can I be a great teacher? And it was so great to have parents on parent-teacher night say, thank God, you're the first normal French teacher our kids have ever had. (laughs) You know, because, you know, even as I said the word French teacher, I'm sure all sorts of impressions come in your mind, and they do tend to be a really interesting bunch. But I knew that the bedrock for my witness was being good at my job. And I'm so thankful for those colleagues I had. I was actually one of four, excuse me, one of five French teachers. I was the only non-native speaker. So it was just a great environment professionally. 15 or 20 Spanish teachers. It was a large high school. What's been fun for me since then, in the 15 years, 17 years since I've last been there, the one thing I could do, like Daniel, was I could pray. Public school, I had to be very careful about certain things I said, but man, there are people who believed all sorts of other philosophies that weren't careful about what they said, and they had no sorts of retribution. Interesting, isn't it? But I knew I could pray. 
And in these last 17 years, what has been fun has been to see students that I mentored or especially connected with, to see them have encountered Christ themselves. Some through my testimony, some through the testimony of others as they went off to college. One person waters, another person, you know, one person sows, another waters, but God brings the increase. Excellence of what we do, that's what opens doors. And why do we think it's different in the political world or the government world? It's not different. When we're excellent at what we do, that opens doors for us. God is wanting Middle Street Baptist to be excellent at what you do as you serve your community and watch the doors that will open for you, that he will open so that God gets glory. Amen? The city of Portsmouth, the seacoast, is longing for such a witness of Christ that you can bring because of how you live. And it's, it's just wonderful, the doors that open. No matter what side of the aisle, those legislators, those city councilors are on, no matter where they're at, when you guys do good and it brings God glory, it's amazing the doors that open. So we need to act naturally. We need to do the things that we need to do. We need to avoid worldliness. We need to pray, be people of prayer, because that's how God opened doors. We need to develop the talents that God has given us. We need to be excellent at it. And certainly, as I've gotten to know Chris, there's certain avenues that you guys go down to serve your community. Keep going. Keep doing it. Be excellent, because God will open doors that no man can shut. Amen? Because then that's where the supernatural kicks in. And we, I know we need the supernatural. You know, I sit in my office across from the state house, begging God with other pastors. And you know, I, I host pastors regularly in our office. And I say, let's pray that God breaks through in the lives of everyone, from the governor all the way down to, say, the physical plant folks who are cleaning up in the cafeteria of the state house in the basement. I pray, you know, God, let, we need breakthrough in these guys' lives and gals' lives. It's gotta be, there's got to be a God factor that kicks in. And believe me, he is working. We do our part. He does his. We act naturally. We do what we need to do. And then he shows up in special ways. And just also by way of survey, let me go just briefly through the four kings and the different ways that God showed up supernaturally. First, Daniel served under Nebuchadnezzar. This is in Daniel 2 or 3. And God gave Daniel a supernatural gift of revealing dreams. And, <laughs> you know, as, as it would turn out, when you, when you follow God, at times you get persecuted. And Nebuchadnezzar decided for a whole variety of reasons he was going to send Daniel's buddies into the lion's den and listen to what they say. They say, if the God we serve exists, excuse me, into the, uh, into the burning furnace. Lion's Den is another leader. Burning furnace. I love it what Daniel's friends say. They say, if the God we serve exists, this is Daniel three seventeen to 18, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. But even if he does not rescue us, we trust in him. And of course, we know that God did rescue them, right? Supernaturally, God visited Jesus incarnation of Christ himself shows up in the furnace and delivers Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, Daniel and his buddies were doing what they needed to do, but at the right time, God brought the deliverance that was supernatural. Next king, Belshazzar. We're still in the Babylonian kingdom. Daniel 5. Daniel interpreted, there was writing on the wall. You know, this king was, um, although Nebuchadnezzar had repented, 
This is Belshazzar, some relative, perhaps his son, perhaps a nephew. Belshazzar knows that Nebuchadnezzar ended his life repenting and turning to God, but nonetheless, he's living arrogantly. So writing is on the wall. God puts writing on the wall, and it says, many, tekel, parson. It has to do with numbered days, that saying that, uh, um, that Belshazzar was being weighed by God and found deficient and that his kingdom would be d- divided. And sure enough, that very night, Belshazzar dies. Sorry, point being a very supernatural thing happened. You know, here was a king who was being arrogant. Here was a king who was not repenting like Nebuchadnezzar, his forebear had done. But God showed up in a powerful way. And I believe God is showing up in powerful ways. I'm praying for God to show up in powerful ways in the lives of our governor, in the lives of our senators, in the lives of our state legislators. Because I do believe that the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of Joseph and Esther is still the God who is working today in Portsmouth, in Concord, in Washington, D.C. Third king is King Darius. And despite the trickery of jealous and petty men that puts Daniel in the lion's den, he miraculously escapes. And then finally, the, the narrative of Daniel ends when he's serving another Persian king named Cyrus. Daniel 9 is, if you haven't read it, it um, actually the words of assurance that um, were given to us today. Daniel prays this beautiful prayer of repentance. And then Daniel, the Daniel narrative ends, Daniel 10 to 12 ends with this incredible apocalyptic vision. The only thing like it in scripture is then the book of Revelation. My point is that even under Cyrus, you know, Daniel in his, old, in his old age, he's connecting with God, he's abiding with God, and God is giving Daniel what he needed to lead God's people through the next seasons of life. Our job is to act natural. Our job is to pray. Our job is to not be consumed by culture. Our job is to develop our gifts individually and corporately, and our job is to be excellent in them, then watch what God will do. And so in this season in New Hampshire, where we know politics is a contact sport, as we're first in the nation primary and all sorts of other firsts about New Hampshire, which I love New Hampshire, when it comes to acting naturally, I would suggest a few things. I suggest, please, do get to know who your candidates are. The organization I work for is a great resource. If you care about the issues that Cornerstone cares about, we do endorse. We do have a great track record. We, we, we uh, have a great record of how candidates voted in the last two years. So if you have an incumbent who's voting, or excuse me, if you have an incumbent who's running again, please check out our, our endorsements and check out our um, track record on how they voted. It can be a great resource for you. But I just ask you, please educate yourselves. So as we head to November 9th, you can make informed decisions about who you want to vote for. Engage with the issues. You know, New Hampshire, there's no other state like it where you can get to know your candidates personally. Please do. Call them. Ask them. If you have an issue that you care about, just see where they're at. Because just because they have an R or a D at the end of their name doesn't necessarily mean that they line up or don't line up with some of your values. It really is worth a conversation. And I encourage you, because New Hampshire, we can have the conversation. Very different from Massachusetts, where I grew up. And where I pastored, and even as a pastor, I tried to connect with my state senators, show up at Beacon Hill only to be uh, 
told that they had another meeting, and then I'd have this great divine appointment with their chief of staff, but I had such a hard time connecting with the state senators of Massachusetts, whereas in New Hampshire, they are just so easy to access. So get to know your candidates. Do vote. And then you yourself, have you thought about running for office at the local level, at the county level, at the state level? We need good people. We need Daniels to show up in these spheres. We need Esthers to show up in these spheres because who knows what God will do. And I love, in, in my day-to-day of my job, I hear about different people who've said, I didn't think I was going to do this before, but I felt God say I should do this. They run for office. And whether they win or lose, they've obeyed God, and they've had a great journey with God on the campaign trail, just learning where people are at and this sort of thing. So I encourage you, could you, vote for, or could you run for office? We do what we need to do in the natural, and then we believe God for the supernatural. November 9th, as we wake up on that morning, some of you may be really happy. Some of you may be really sad. You might be mixed. You know, I don't know what your reaction will be to the slate of, say, state legislators you have, or our federal docket, how it looks like, our federal delegation of our two senators and our two uh, representatives, members of Congress. I don't know. But I do know this. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. In other words, we don't want to be like the rest of the voices in the political sphere that are just carnal. We want to be heavenly. We're praying. Okay? We're, we're believing. We're voting. We're acting naturally. We're getting educated. We're doing what we should do. And then November 9th, we wake up, and we say, God, you do your part now. And on a very practical level, could I suggest something, maybe also in the natural? From November 9th, Till the new year, that's a great time to get to know your new state reps because you can be relational with them because they haven't started yet. The January 4th this year will be when our legislature convenes for the first time. Imagine if you talked to your legislators, got to know them beforehand, before they started any of their business, so they know, okay, when Mary calls, we sat and we had a cup of coffee, or we said hello in the grocery store, or we had a five-minute phone conversation. So now when you do come and say, hey, Senator X, Representative Y, you've had relationship with them first before you start to talk about policy. New Hampshire is the only state in the union that allows that, with 400 reps, 24 senators for just 1.4 million people. It's an amazing gift. We in the church have a great stewardship here. I feel like we're in a great David and Goliath moment. The David part is we have a very accessible legislature. The Goliath part is 2016 research, Pew Research poll says that we're the least religious state in the union. And I say, yes, amen. I like these odds because we serve an outsized God. Esther, Joseph, Daniel, God shows up. We act naturally, do what we're supposed to do. He shows up supernaturally. Do you believe it? We'll see if we do in these coming years. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. And then um, why don't you stand and we will sing hymn 354 together. But let me pray and then we'll um, read this or we'll sing the hymn together. Why don't you stand? As you're standing, I'll pray.